Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Buckle up for an unfiltered dose of comedy. Full disclosure, I've had a lot of sex, but honestly, having sex with me is like buying a Prius. It's much quieter than you'd expect. Epics presents Unprotected Sets. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hang Up. That's right, I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork, it changed my life. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Listen to Hang Ups on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Live from the Dream Hotel in Hollywood, California, this is Lips LA. Hey guys, welcome to the show. It's Scott Lips and you are listening to Lip Service. Today on the show, super decided to have Mr. Gavin Rosdale, a Bush. Bush, as you may know, has sold about 15 to 20 million records. Gavin is an English singer, songwriter, musician, and actor, and has been with Bush uh, for many, many years. And uh, we're going to talk about all things Bush, all things his career, his life, how he started, and uh, we're good friends, truth be told. Love this guy. We're super excited to have him here. And by the way, the show, if you don't know, is available on iTunes, Spotify. Please download it. It's very helpful to us. Please rate and review it. And coming up in just one moment, Mr. Gavin Rosdale of Bush. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Good, I'm good. I did an illustrious uh, beginning for you before, so I had a lot of time set up, and I got you a great coffee. You're a big fan of coffee, right? Sure. So I got you a cappuccino. I, thank you, sir. I, you know, I always like a long intro. Well, you know, I didn't. Uh, I wasn't sure if you were like an almond milk kind of guy, or you never know what kind of milk people oh, take. But. I'm like, I'm like straight up London. That's what it is. Easy going. Straight up, straight you up. I mean, I, I'll do it all. Cows, so, oats. Everything. Almonds, cashews. Um, well, I'm super happy to have you here. Truth be told, we are friends, so I'm excited to spend a little time with you here and talk about new music and your journey, because I think, you know, it's really interesting, Gavin, and I know you don't know that much about what we do here, but the show is really about your journey, your life from start 
to now and new music in the future and whatnot. But I think your story could make an amazing biopic one day. Um, <laughs> so we can get into that. But I'd love to hear everything from start to finish, kind of how you said, well, we should actually talk about how we met first. So I was at this thing the other day, it was like a couple months ago, the art of, uh, it was a thing that you were hosting. Oh, right. That was the, I was the art ambassador for St. Jude's exactly. uh, Hospital, which I thought was really exciting. And I'm really into it, really um, serious about it. And then I found out it was just like, giving a speech that night. Did you give a speech? Did you give a speech? I did. I did. I gave a speech, you know, tried to be witty, full of like my art references and my love of art. And then I was done. And it, it was, was funny because I told Jen here that I was like, I should meet Gavin. And then you actually, funny enough, you came up to me, which was awesome. I came like, up to you because uh, inadvertently I'd, I'd seen your Instagram uh, page. And, um, and you hated my life. And I was so impressed by your life that I began to hate you slowly. <laughs> and uh, and it just wore down on me. I was like, who is this guy? And like, and then I saw you had that show about Rock's Not Dead. And like, I was clearly not even alive to you. I didn't think. <laughs> so I was like, well, we're I didn't feature in it. So I was like. We're definitely going to include you in the I was next like, one. I don't, what, what, yeah. So, um, oh, thank you. I look forward to it. I, yeah. I'm working hard to get back into it. Um, and uh, <laughs> and so I went up to you and I stopped following you because I was just like bored of how great your life looked <laughs> and all the great food and uh, all the pretty girls. I was like, ah, oh, you know, this guy's really bugging. And then I saw you out and I was like, I got to come and tell you that. So you really, you hit the Instagram home run. Thank you. If we look at your page going, why is our life not as good as that? <laughs> right. We don't get donuts like that and still look cool and have us surrounded by all these beautiful girls. Well, it's not like it seems. It's actually an optical illusion. So uh, to be That's the idea, all, right? Yeah, it's an optical illusion. That's but, the idea. Social but we have media. a lot in common. I don't even know if you know. We never spoke about this. And I, we're going to get into your whole life story in a moment. But I played drums with Marty Fredrickson, too, who I believe wrote with oh, you at some point, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. we did Love Reigns the same together. Exactly. So I was his drummer for many years. So. Nice. Um, but he's that's a really all, good drummer, actually. He's a great he's a drummer. He's a good drummer. He's a great producer. I actually said that was his, my almost my uh, most impressive thing about him was his drumming he's actually he used to make these demos got that i it was actually better than our band could ever do and he did it by himself right and uh he's just an incredible guy an incredible talent but take us back to the beginning so mm-hmm. it, let's you know it's sort of like this is your life gab um you grew up in uh Marylebone, london which is near arsenal right yeah and uh tell us a little about like how you grew up i know that your mom's name was barbara Mm-hmm. Because my Still mom's is. name is Barbara, so Still I didn't is. know that. And you're, you're actually, your name is Rosenthal, right? You're, you're right. Well, that was the thing. In 1867, my family came over from Russia, uh, persecuted Jews. And uh, so that's in my blood. I got Jewish in my blood. And uh, Russian, Jewish, and my mom's Scottish, and my dad's English. So I'm all over the map. And I'm much more generous than any of the cliches let on. I love that. Cause I think- Scottish Jew, you know, people think, oh, he's never going to spend a penny on anything. But I'm actually quite generous. So was Rosenthal like the the big you know the first twenty years of your life or so? Oh no, nothing to do with me. That was oh. like hundreds of years ago. Oh, hundreds. Okay, okay. My dad, my my dad, my grandfather. I think they changed it like three generations ago. Okay, just to try and get ahead. Because I think my last name is really Lipschitz from like a hundred <laughs> years ago, which is never really a great name, and I don't think anybody wants the to. Shit really, lips would be worse. Yeah, it's not not a great name. So we just try and not talk about that. So you kind of grew, you grew up to your family. Was there music around you a lot? And you know, were you not around? really? I mean, I grew up at first with my mom, and and then uh, she left when I was about 10, 11, and then I grew up with my dad. And no, there's like four records. There's Roberta Flack. There's Queen, and I think like something maybe like the Beach Boys. So it was really minimal. I think that's really good. I don't believe any of that hot house nonsense. You know, we've been playing Mozart in the baby's belly since the mother was pregnant. It's like, it's going to be a dentist. Right. You got to be a dentist. You so, know? so you weren't really growing up around rock and roll when no, you were No, no. The music, I mean, 
I, I firmly believe, which is really confusing because I have kids and I try and like give them every, every opportunity, every access to everything that yeah. there is. And it's nonsense because really it's got to be about an internal in fire, a passion inside. And, uh, you know, I think that um, to come from, from uh, where I came from, do music was like such a, it's such the wrong thing to do. So up against it, no support, no logic. Yeah. all feel and that's the what you do you do it to break out and break away from stuff and so i'm sure it's worked for some people you know john legend can play really pretty piano because he played right. piano and stuff like that but i think kind of with the kind of people with like punk sensibilities which is what i uh, i come from is um it's just an act of rebellion yeah. to do it and so the la- rebels don't want support and so in high school were you listening to punk was it like the pixies yeah, or what, what kind of bands were you listening to at that point well, I mean, I just always loved alternative music as whatever that was. So from, you know, growing up, the punk was happening and that was an amazing time. Pistols and, then, and whatnot. Yeah, pistols. So either Pistols or The Clash, I was yeah. The Pistols. Yeah. And then all the, you know, X-Ray Specs, uh, Rosillos, uh, you know, and, and then moving into like the post-punk stuff, which was Pill, yeah. The The. You I know? kind of remember them a little bit. Yeah, Matt, Matt, Matt Johnson, incredible. Yeah. Um, Any... Um, that style, and then ending on 4AD. Okay. That's when I got sure. into the Pixies, yeah. throwing muses. Yeah. Um, I liked England, My Bloody Valentine, who are Scottish. Yeah, yeah. great band. And, and then you were, uh, you sort of picked up the bass initially first at mm. around what, 15, 16? Yeah, 14. I was like, my okay. sister's boyfriend gave me a bass. And so I, I had a bass. And I used to go to his rehearsals. I had a band uh, when I was at school, and we just, did jam covers. Cool. Was that Midnight jam. or was that another band? No, that was that was that Midnight was when we first began to write my own songs, uh, our own songs, but uh, that was just covers. And then know, you realized uh, the bass was just not the best instrument for yourself. Yeah, I you know, I was uh, I was into like writing the words and so I couldn't do the, the bass and um, and singing. So I had a, and I I met my best friend and he was an amazing bass player, so that was the time to like let him use my bass. Cool. So at 17, you leave high school mm-hmm. and you form this band, Midnight. Mm-hmm. And that was really your first foray into writing songs mm-hmm. or had you written songs before? No, no, that was my first first time where I began and when I left school. And it was weird because, yeah, just, just sitting around like writing songs and trying to get in. We got signed really quick, like within like uh, 18 months or something. Not 12 months. Not Midnight. Yeah. Oh, Midnight got signed right away. Okay. And yeah, so you put right out away. a record. Warner Chapel. Super rips us off, you know, five thousand dollars to own your publishing forever. Right, and then it's five thousand pounds. It wow, was like it was crazy. The, and we could took a long time to get out of that deal. And then, um, so is that record available anywhere? If we wanted to go back and yeah, there's a, a couple. There's like three singles. We never, we weren't ever allowed to make a record, you know. Okay. So I really was growing up in public, like literally, like right, you know, right. finding my way. And if I'd if I backdated it all, like four or five years, that would have been the natural process, but. You know, like anything that's interesting, it's all done in the wrong way. Yeah, what was Midnight like as a reference? Is um, sort of musically, was it really heavy alternative? No, I think that it was, uh, I think that it had, uh, you know, it was, was probably wasn't heavy enough. The guys that I was working with, I'd be like, we need to make it heavier and let's do stuff like, why don't we make it more, you know, more indie? Like, how do we get that? And I remember the one guy saying to me, um, the guitar player said, uh, oh, that's because they can't play very well. <laughs> I was struck with that and I was like oh because I didn't know enough about music at that right. point so I was like is that really the reason and then I realized late, later on that it's not it's really like to do with sonics and sound yeah. you know how you set things up so um, 
So yeah, basically at that point I wrote words. I didn't really write music. So I was dictated by them, but they were pretty good musicians. And I think if anything, like this probably was, had a bit of, uh, you know, some in excess in there or something cool. like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's a great band. No great one band. talks about it enough. Yeah. Um, and um, that was about 91, was it not? Around something like that, a little bit earlier. Yeah, something, I, I guess. I've reached a point in my life where everything's, oh yeah, a couple of years ago. <laughs> right. Everything. Yeah, we don't well, know what's the last time we were here? Couple of, yeah, a couple of years ago. It's like, you know, <laughs> seven. Everything's a couple of years ago. Anything you ask me today is a couple of years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> a couple of years ago yeah. after midnight. So, at what point and, and how did, you know, Bush come to be formed, actually? Well, what happened is it's a weird one because uh, I was in midnight. And then the guitar player, first off, I don't know, yeah, the, the guitar player left. And I remember like, I cried. I was sad. I was really sad because I was like, what do we do? But then I was really upset because then my, the bass player, then we started another band. And I, and I was with a really good guitar player who didn't want me to play guitar. He wouldn't let me play guitar. And I was really, really starting to get a little better at guitar yeah. from a songwriting point of view. Were you a good bass player? I was all not enough. I mean, no, not at that okay. point, it was all a bit. It's all a bit not not as as good as I could be, or I'm much better now, right, um, as I should be. And uh, so I was in a band for a couple of years where the guy wouldn't let me play guitar. And then my my best friend Sasha, who was in the band with me, he left to go to Boston School of Music to play bass and piano, and then went to Moscow Conservatory to do music scores, Amazing. sound uh, soundtracks, movie scores, um, and. Um, so that's when I sat down. I began to look for my third band, which became Bush. I was like looking for guitar players, and I was like, you know, you you suck. You should like be able to write a song on your own. Why you why wait for a guitar player? So that's the first song I wrote on my own with a guitar was Come Down. Amazing. Yeah, was the but the band one. wasn't initially called Bush. No, it was called uh, Primitive. Like uh, every band, Future Primitive. Future Primitive, right? How'd you come up with that name, by the way? I don't know. You know what I mean? What can I tell you? <laughs> just, like that was a couple of years names ago. Names on now. a piece of paper, future just primitive was, bush. Yeah, 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 this is a bit of a mouthful. It, it's, yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. But then what, what's weird is we uh, worked with Dave Carson uh, to do the uh, artwork for, for us. And when we were going to call the album Bush, he's like, you should just call the band Bush. I was like, you're right. And so you guys were playing out. And how long till you got a record deal? Was it about two or three years? Or was it pretty immediate? Uh, one and a half, two years. Okay. And we just, we played in Camden Town. We played all the clubs, all the pubs. Oh. And uh, big Friday night, Saturday night band. So we played to a lot of people. And then we did that brilliant thing of going to make a record and changing our name. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's like a marketing nightmare. Well, not a bad song to write as your first song, right? Right. Pretty amazing. It, it set the bar. So um, that was that. And that's, that's, that's then what happens. I wrote a bunch of songs and I had, I met Nigel, who's the first guitar player in Bush. And he, I trying to convince him to do a band with me. And he was really busy and getting paid to do like uh, videos for, you know, like, um, you know, when companies <clears throat> do like work weekends or, they they do internal memos with with sound. You right. know? He was doing he was music for them. He was that guy getting paid like a thousand pounds a time, and for training videos, training videos and things like that. And he, um, so he'd say to me, I took him all these songs, you know, take him sixteen stones, all these different songs, and, I, yeah. and I'd take four songs at a time. He'd say, I say now, you know, come down was the first song I gave him, little things, it's a machine head. And he's like, these are really good. And I was like, perfect. I thought the pressure would be off. And he'd say, let's write together now. I said, so we'll write together. He goes, no, you just keep doing it. Because he didn't think we were going to get paid. <laughs> and I could pay him. I could barely, you know, I had to like ride my bike to get to his house to make the demos. 
So uh, how incredible those are your first batch of songs too, right? Because mm-hmm. the songs are still so relevant this day, and right. uh, it's pretty amazing that those are the first songs you guys wrote. So yeah, and I, when I gave them to him, he really kind of spruced them up. You know, they were sort yeah. of just in simple chord forms, and he would put some nice music on them, put top lines on. And he just wanted to get me out of the house, I think. So he's really fast because he'd do all these like training demo uh, music for people, you know. Right, so right. he's very quick in the studio. And, uh, but he's really generous as opposed to the previous guy because what he always wanted me to do is play guitar live um, and not, not hog it, you know, and be right. like, no, you need to play, you know, you, you wrote these riffs and like my riffs go off of your riffs. So he's really generous like that. But even early on, you really wrote most of the music. You'd bring it in, the band would sort of embellish it. All of it. it. Yeah. So they never really contributed early on. It was uh, well, they did because what happened is that is that basically whatever I would do in a song is what I would present. Yeah. So if you take Machine Head and you take the the line that everyone can sing, um, that's his line. Right. It's Nigel's line. Sure, so sure. anything that everyone anything that everyone did um, until I be, <clears throat> was was their own thing. Right. So right, okay. it just I, the voice, my voice, and the chords and my riffs and all the riffs were mine. Yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of people don't know bands usually break up because of the songwriting process. It's like, well, I'm writing songs, I got the big house, you got the small apartment, yeah. but uh, had we, that ever- we made a good deal for early on. I saw that head of that one off and I just uh, took care of everyone so that I wasn't an idiot, but I was, right. I was, I was mindful of everyone cool. because what people kept on saying to me is you don't want to have the situation where you do have the big house and right. then they're like- and They're in a studio yeah. apartment, they're resentful. So we didn't, they had, no, no, they didn't want to do it. And they, 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 um, yeah, we, they were fine with it because it's just it's better to be generous and together and have a good vibe than to sort of eke out a little bit more because then it's, you know, I think it's better to have, you know, a percentage of something that's happening than 100% of something that isn't happening. 100%. And, <laughs> and so at that point, so how did the record deal come about? So how it came about is there's this, this DJ, uh, Gary Crowley in England. Okay. And he... Um, we had done this thing. There's a there's a, a music show in in England called the the the, um, the Tube, and they had a midweek show, and they would showcase new bands. And so you had to you had to we had a demo clash, and the demo clash to win the demo clash you would get to be on TV. And that we had a song called Honky Manchild, whatever that means. I have no idea. <laughs> what what exactly is a honky? It's a really manchild? good. It was a really good pop like uh, rock pop song. It was cool, <laughs> and uh, I still remember the riff. It was cool. But then it didn't make the record. But anyway, so that got used as a video to then send to uh, Rob Kahane in uh, in America. And that's how he came to England and he signed us from there. And everyone was like, don't sign. It was just an independent label in the Valley. Was this, this Trauma Records? Trauma. It was Trauma oh. Records. We should have known. Yeah. <laughs> in the Valley. Right. <laughs> but it was... Uh, it was an incredible run and they did an incredible job. So it was... Uh, it was that's what, what... So everything... I owe everything to Los Angeles. Yeah. Which is really weird. By the way, at a certain point, you did sign another record with another label in the Valley, I believe, right? Because you also work with Hollywood Records for... A well, they, no, they, they, they signed, they had this distribution. Okay. And okay. then they, when they got given 16 Stone, they th- won a guy, an executive there through, um, the guy who signed us, uh, Frank Wells, was sadly killed in a helicopter crash. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, went on to the next executives. And they uh, took 16 Stone, the CD, apparently, According to Rob Kane, they threw it at him, and they said, "Not only are there no singles on this album, there's no, there's no on this record, there's no album tracks." I would say almost every song is a single on that record. It's five number one songs. So <laughs> right. it's like they, it, um, so we left that. Um, it's very Malcolm Gladwell the story yeah. because what he talks about is how it's the confluence of many things that make things happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so we left 
um, well, we got thrown off Hollywood Records, um, thrown out, kicked out the door, and um, Ted Field from Interscope heard us on the radio, and he went up to, and I, I was so confused and so naive. When I signed with Trauma, I thought I was done. Right. He goes, no, no, now I'm going to go to Interscope Records. I was like, another label? I didn't quite get the distribution sure, thing, sure. which is really only a word. Someone should have said distribution. Yeah. And went in there, and t- Ted and Jimmy were there. And, and Jimmy, that, Jimmy's quite brilliant, so I'm sure you and him bonded right yeah, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, you know, you got, you, I got some Jimmy Iovine love. Yeah. And, um, and the rest is, is, uh, well, oh, there's the rest 16 of pa- pages, pages of A4 pages paper. Of, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's funny because Bush, at some point you guys were starting to sell like 50,000 units a week, which is yeah. unheard of. Now mm-hmm. it's all about downloads and whatnot. But now if you sold that for the entire record, you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good it's going. It's pretty good, right, right. Now that was just a week. I couldn't believe it that it just would happen week in, week out, every week, every week. It was just unbelievable. But the band definitely started to sort of buzz more in America, would you say, than London? Well, because we just, you know, Rob was, we were just, uh, here and then we just toured for three years and he'd never heard of Europe. Yeah. I he mean, went there once to sign us, then he never went back because he was, he was like, like, what's Europe? It's a small, <laughs> a small <laughs> island off of Russia. <laughs> so he, um, yeah, we just concentrated there. But then, you know, then we went back and we kind of redressed the balance. Um, it was a bit difficult because that was the height of Britpop. Right, right. So we didn't, there wasn't much love for us over there press-wise. And I think we were selling it we combined of all the top English bands, Oasis, Blur, um, Suede, all combined weren't selling what Bush was selling. So it just was a bit annoying. We were like the sort of the annoying people to have at the, you know, the kids, of the, you know, <laughs> the precocious kids, you know. It just was annoying to, to, to certain people that we were doing so good. Yeah. And, and it had been so many years of struggle. That's the funny part. Well, it's funny because I read somewhere that people thought that maybe you didn't have the success in the UK that you did in the US, but you were selling out like five nights at Brixton over there. That's so what I mean. It's, it it's, uh, what you, I mean, the way you look at it, or the way I always looked at it, was I based it off of the bands I loved. So yeah. if I look where I went to see Jane's Addiction there, they played clubs, you know, mm. and the, or, or, or a Brixton Academy was where I saw the Pixies. So to play five nights at a place where you saw your favorite band ever play a night and then be told that no one cares, you go, that's like... There's 25,000 people in yeah. London. So this is like, it's not terrible. It's not, okay, it's not Springsteen, but it's not terrible. Enough for the first record. So we we did good there. Um, I think that we've always suffered from being a little bit um, uh, inconsistent with like, you know, where you know where are we going to be? We're like the Houdini and like suddenly they would spring out, then we have a big record. And obviously it's been <clears throat> really good here, but uh, I think we, were, we we got it pretty even. And now I'm sure it's less there and, you know, it's a mystery. Well, the band stays together for what about eight, nine, ten years. You release about five or six albums, mm-hmm. and in about two thousand and two, you guys disband, right? So that was due to what? It was due to sort of just. No, was, different, I, I uh, wanted to, I, you know, I again, I, I was really inspired by people like labels like Matador and indie and indie indie labels where people did side projects because they're so creative, but they do it in a in a just you know a four month period. I mean, Chino from the Deftones has like you know. Team Sleep and, and Crosses right. and, you know, I'm starting another band, I'm sure. And uh, Maynard had a tool and Perfect Circle. Sure, sure. And uh, Kim Deal had Pixie issues in this. Readers. Readers. Yeah. So I was inspired by that and I thought it was a sign of uh, being creative. So I went to Jimmy and I said, let's, let's rejuvenate everything. Let me do this side project, real super heavy. He was really into it. But then it took three years because he, he does this thing called Jimmy Jail where you can't really get out of... Um, <laughs> 
you know, you keep having to write another song. And so what was a side project, project became a really a longer hiatus than I wanted. And then after that, I, that, I did that for three years writing and then I did two months touring. And then I said, you've got to do a solo record now. <laughs> right. And that record, people, people that know it, the Institute record is, is really got some Definitely. really cool tracks on it. This is really, um, um, it's, it's annoying. It was a bad career move. It should have just stayed as Bush, but then Nigel and Dave, they didn't want to come back. And then, so I was forced to do the solo record. And the know. guys didn't want to tour. They had families mm. and whatnot. Yeah, one right? guy so, didn't want to tour. Yeah. That's always a bummer when that happens. Cause you always like to be on the road from what yeah. I know. And you love it and you're so enthusiastic about it. But the I other guys were work. just like, Hey, listen, I got families. I can make it for like two months. You're like, well, what about the year tour? Right. It was right. Like I like all that stuff. Yeah. I like the craziness. I'm, I'm into it. You know, I, 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 I firmly am aware of like, I need all the support in the world and I need all the work in the world. You know, like it doesn't, doesn't come by some people really, especially English bands, they seem to, we're not used to, like, I didn't know that touring existed in the capacity that it really truthfully does. Yeah. You know, we, in England, you can do eight or nine shows and you've, you've toured England, right. you know, you do That's eight or nine shows in Texas. Yeah. Well, now you got a bunch of tour. You got a bunch of dates coming right. out too. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna get into all that stuff. But some epic songs on the first few uh, Bush records, and actually epic songs your entire <coughs> career. But Glycerine, one of my favorite Bush songs. So just talk about a little bit of, like the story behind Glycerine. It's a love story, mm-hmm. right? And uh, well, it's just it's just um, I like all those uh, stories and songs of being destabilized and insecure and unsure of where you stand uh, with someone with yourself and. Um, I wrote that song at about five o'clock in the afternoon in my basement um, flat in London where uh, like I think about six of us were living there. I was in one room with my girlfriend. There was two people in this front room. There was a boiler room. Someone was staying there. My friend Pete, who works for me today, he was staying in the hallway. They're like talking when you're writing the song. And uh, I just shut the door. And it was was one of those fun ones that just uh, flew out of me. Um, And it's always a great sign. It just it came out so quick that I thought that it was someone else's. You know, I was like, this must be... Someone Because we have like, we, I, I really believe, like I went, my school was really strict and we, I went to school every morning, really super academic school. And they had like, all the, the you had to go to churches or the services were in Latin. Right. Oh, wow. And Amazing. so I would hear all these, uh, all this Latin spoken every day, have to sing hymns every day. And so you get this basic sense of mem, uh, melody in your DNA. And uh, it's ironic because I'm an atheist. So it's just, it's, it's very twisted. Um, you're, you're, but you are almost like very spiritual Buddhist in a way, I would say. I mean, everything Zen was in one of your albums. So you do have that. I know you, you know. Yeah, I have, I, I, I have, I have, I have belief in the universe, but right. I, religion doesn't, is always, I was always a bit of a head scratcher for me. Yeah. You know, I respect anyone's beliefs and what they into. But even from an early age, I was, I just couldn't get my head around. I got my head around a personal relationship with uh, someone, yeah. people. Some people call it God. Some people call it Buddha. Some people call it, uh, you know, Muhammad, um, or they don't call it anything. Just your own conscience. So I felt a kinship with that, but I never felt a kinship with like the concept of organized religion right. and the restraint of people and guilt and uh, um, you know all the things, all the juicy things that go with uh, making people question it. By the way, I'm the same way as you. And uh, we'll be right back with Gavin Rosdown in one second. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Uh, all right. He's right. He's a drummer. He doesn't know these things. <laughs> exactly. He sounds great. <laughs> and we're back. So, um, Except as a post. 
So, so Gab, let's talk about uh, you know. So you made you made the uh, the Institute record. Yeah. You did a solo record, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the solo record too. You work with a lot of different artists on that record. How was that writing process different? Because you work with a well, lot. It's of so ironic. Artists. So my solo record, Jimmy forced me to uh, write with people. I was like, it's the first time I ever wrote with anyone was on my solo record. So uh, I enjoyed. I just chose Dave Stewart, Linda Perry, uh, Marty. I did one song with, which was really him. Really helped me finish the song. He he put a. Helped me with a great chorus. Awesome. Love remains the same. He really did a great job on that. Shirley Manson and um, well, Shirley sang on the stuff, but we okay. didn't actually write stuff. Yeah, she she's uh, she's amazing. So um, yeah, that was a really good process, and I, I enjoyed it. And I was sort of like, could I could I do uh, records without heavy guitars and still be emphatic and be interesting? And everyone was like, where are the guitars? <laughs> I got in trouble. <laughs> And then I, you know, I had a, they, Jimmy put out the ballad, Love Remains the Same. And I was like, not the ballad. Everyone's going to think I just, I wanted to be Peter Gabriel, not yeah. sort of, you know, John Marks, you know, <laughs> or what, Richard Marks. Richard John Marks. Marks is my old agent. I remember Richard Marks. <laughs> Richard Marks, God bless him. And I do love that, that ballad is a really, um, it's a, it's, it's a great song. It's, thank you. Uh, it's a, it's one of the most traditional songs, you know. Definitely. And, uh, and that was a massive song. But then people were super confused because the people that heard that then came to see my show and I was so disillusioned uh, and frustrated playing live. I just played live with Institute, which was like playing live in Helmet. Right, right. Because Paige did the record and it was all detuned. To then... um, And Chris ended up being your guitar player mm -hmm. of the now, uh, the the version. Yeah, I tend to keep people, the same people around. So like I started with him in 2002, so he's been around forever. And in 2002, you actually started acting too. Truth be told, I didn't know that much about your acting career, but it's great when I was like researching you, it's crazy. You've done so much acting. You've done stuff with Keanu Reeves, Constantine, Zoolander, Mayor of the Sunset Strip, so much. Criminal Minds, Hawaii Five-0. I actually didn't know all that about you. Yeah, 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 you know. I'm an onion. That's that's amazing. So was the acting thing a big passion of yours too? Yeah, I loved it. it. I mean, I've wanted to be an actor a long time. I I, I love that process of um, making words off of a page come alive. Yeah. And the actual physical moment of acting is it it, it's really fun. I haven't done much of it recently. The last thing I did was Sophia Coppola within in the Bling Ring. Amazing. So that was really good. But I mean, so much about music for me. Uh, I would I, I I really do like the process, and you know. Do you think that ties into, because you do a lot of soundtrack stuff too, and you mm-hmm. have, and, and actually you have a new song, which we want to talk about. So the new stuff, I know you're super excited about the new stuff, and, cool, and I'm excited about it. It's heavier, it's darker. I, yeah. I know you describe it as like an ocean, <laughs> a darker oceanic, right? So Deep and dark. Deep and dark. So let's, let's talk about the new stuff you're writing and all that stuff too. Okay. Well, this new record is called The Mind Plays Tricks on You, and going to my consistent life theme of, of being destabilized. <laughs> especially by ourselves. Yeah. And it's just, it's not so much an anger record. It's just, it's just like, it's digging deep into life and it has a, it does have a lot of anger in it and a lot of uh, power and strength and um, hopefully some beauty in there as well. And it's just lots of, um, lots of songs that I'm really proud of. And how did the John Wick 3 soundtrack come out? Because you had known Keanu, you'd acted with Keanu and yeah, Constantine well, too. Yeah, what's so. cool about the with Keanu thing is the Chad who um, directed the John Wick, all the John Wick uh, movies, uh, was Keanu's stunt double and coordinator from The Matrix. So okay. he directed me in Constantine cool. with Keanu. Amazing. So it was real cool full circle, the way we all work together um, to come back to working. And uh, I produced this record we just done now with Tyler Bates. Great. Co- composer. And um, he did Manson's last record, yeah. Alice in Chains. And he's, um, well, he's become an amazing, great friend, but he... Uh, 
he also was doing the music for John Wick. Oh, cool. So when he was doing the music for John Wick, um, Chad was saying, what are you working on? He goes, I'm working with Gavin. He goes, play me some stuff. And we had this one song, Blood River. He really liked that song, Blood River. That's your favorite track on a new record I heard. Blood River. That's what I heard. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I mean, yeah. I'm excited by so yeah. many of them. It's a good, it's a good time. Is it before anyone hears it? So this is the, this is the honeymoon period. Okay. Before anyone like sits on it and says, Hey, why so heavy? Or why so dark? You know, or complains about it. It just feels really good that, uh, I have this, this un, untainted collection of songs that, uh, and the first one's come out, Bullet Holes, that has got a lot of love. And I know it's not necessarily the best one. It's just like one of them. We'll be back in one moment with Gavin Rosdale. This is Lips LA on Dash Radio. Hey guys, we're back. You are listening to uh, Scott Lips, Lip Service, Gavin Rosdale. Oh, I, mean, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. We were just talking about uh, the new album. We we're talking about John Wick 3. And we want to talk about, because you know it's sort of a chronological uh, review of your life here, Gavin. So coming up now, uh, the band gets back together, which is awesome. And you guys have been touring for sort of nonstop here. And just toured with some other friends of mine. You were on the road with STP and with The Cult, which is great. And now you got this new tour coming up. So we're going to talk about the new tour with Live, which is pretty great. So the new tour coming up, Gav, there was so much that we're trying to condense, you know, the last 10 years into five minutes. But uh, more or less, the, the band got back together. You start touring a bunch and uh, releasing music again. And the and obviously, you still get super inspired about releasing new music. The yeah. single route is not your route. You love making albums and you get inspired by that, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that... Uh, um the reason I like it is that if I like someone's song, I want to hear more of the work they do, you know? Right. And um, so I'm into that. And plus it's a challenge. And plus I like doing everything the wrong way, you know, really. But I do understand it's mainly about singles for people. So it's just there if someone wants to. And also for live bands, it's, it's really nice that people get to know the material. Remember you used to have like albums. We used to have like the, the artwork. We used to have everything. There. I we love the artwork. The, the B-sides. Remember the B-sides? The B-sides were great. Yes, there, there are no more B-sides. The B-sides have gone the way of... <laughs> I don't know what MySpace, um, but uh, <laughs> MySpace and B sides and B sides. But um, the tour coming up, so it is the 25th anniversary, which is great. And uh, we're going to talk about the Bush and Live tour coming up. You're mm. playing the Greek Theater, which I'm super excited I'm about. I'm so excited. It's around that. my birthday, so I might ask you for a ticket because it's you about a, a you, few whatever days. you need. Thank whatever you, you thank need. You. So um, I want to be part of your life. I want to be on the Instagram. You, you are part of my life, and, and you know I consider us friends already, which we is are great. Friends. So, so um, so yeah, let's talk I about the Greek. <laughs> the Greek. Well, the Greek. Well, you know I used to live right near there. Amazing. So I would hear in the Los shows. Feliz? Yeah. Cool. Aberdeen Avenue, and I used to used to. I, in fact, I once walked to see David Bowie there. Amazing. Um, he was playing there, and I always wanted to play there. And last summer when we were with STP, I was told we we're going to play the Greek. I was really into it, and then it turns out that um. We played San Bernardino, which is a really nice venue, but Instead it's like of the Greek. Yeah, it's like oh. forty-five minutes away. That's not the same. So, out of all the venues you play, because I know you love playing South America, are there certain cities that you really get inspired by? I know Chile was a, a big deal for you recently because you love going down in South America, Latin America. So, I, is that a good angle? Yeah, I love. That's I, a good angle. I, I like. Um, I like going anywhere and going somewhere exotic like South America is really fun. You know what I mean? And. Um, but just going to play music for different people, different all parts of the world, it's it's it, it's great. So, so let's talk about this tour with live coming up. Are you excited mm -hmm. about this tour? I'm really I'm always excited to go on tour, and awesome. uh, it starts next week, doesn't it? Yeah, it starts soon. And the the Greek is August sixth, I believe. Oh yeah, the Greek with the Greek is that, <laughs> that I don't have many milestones that I dream about, or what do you call it, like wish list things. But the Greek is really one of them. Awesome. I mean, the Greek, it's it's really exciting. And what about the new album? When does that come out? Do we know? Uh, I, I, I think it probably comes out September, 
October thing, Brian. We're, we're, we're definitely going to have you back on for an hour and a half when the new album. And I'm going to be on time. And now I know where I'm going. <laughs> and what this is, what's going I was on much, here. I was at the, the we're at the, the Dream Hotel. I was at the Dream Crack Hotel. <laughs> right. And I know where to one. get some great meth if you need it <laughs> for the next time around. Then where we can is do, that? Then we can do a four day interview. Is that in North Hollywood? It's going to be so. People are going to love it. It's going to be really good. Well, that, we're going to look really skinny by the end of it. <laughs> so you, a, a couple last things I want to touch on. So I know we got to wrap it up soon. So your favorite artist is also one of my favorite artists, Bowie. Mm-hmm. Any great Bowie stories that you can tell? Because I, I actually told some Bowie stories last time on the show. I was talking about when he asked me for a cigarette. I met him at this place, the Cat House, many years ago. And, and I worked with his wife, Amon, for like the last 15 years. She's incredible. Um, she's amazing. So we have a connection in that sense. And my whole wall was a Nick Rock Ziggy Stardust picture like in New York the last 15 years or so. So any great stories? I know Bowie was a huge inspiration to you and, and uh, one of your favorite well, we, artists. We were lucky to, like a long time ago, we toured with him in South America. Mm. So I was him in South America. And so I got friendly with him there. And um, getting friendly with Bowie was a bit of a weird one because my family's name is Bowie. Oh, is it really? Yeah, my mom's name's Scottish, Bowie. Oh. They say Bowie. Amazing. So... Um, stories about him i mean just mainly what i the thing about him is just missing that sort of or he's such a he's so funny and cultured and um i was just lucky to know him and just hang out with him and um you guys never talked about doing music together yeah we did actually you we did spoke he's a, always he's a, i'm always up for a collab as he called him uh. and it never came about and um which is really dumb and uh he I don't know. I, my, my favorite thing once he said to me, um, one time I got a really terrible review, another terrible review. Um, and I said, I wrote to him and I was like, uh, I called him up and I was like, oh man, I can't take it. What, what do you do when you get these? Not that he ever probably got any bad reviews, but I'm sure he did. Well, he did because I read them. Um, well, there was Tin Machine, right? That, I don't know if that was the most, the, the best review band ever. Tin Machine was a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, that, no. you know, but that, that had, was that Reeves in there as well? Yeah. Reeves began yeah, yeah. that and then he, kept Reeves. Yeah. Reeves was my guitar teacher for oh, wow. a minute. Amazing. By chance, I got it from a guitar store, went around to his house in Gloucester Place and he's like, yeah, I play for Bowie. <laughs> like, I was like, oh no, guy. because Bowie likes all these fourths. And <laughs> right. But no, I said to him, what am I going to do about this? You know, I want to kill him. You know, do you think it's a good idea to go into the, the offices and set them on fire? <laughs> and uh, he goes, uh, outlive them, outlive your critics. <laughs> So I did. Amazing. <laughs> I got the chance to play with Earl Slick once, and I don't think he liked my drumming, so that was a little bit upsetting. I could, he was just like... Looking, he didn't? He was like angry at me. I don't know. It's weird. Well, I did that night yeah. with him. I did that uh, Bowie tribute yeah. night where I sang I'm Afraid of Americans yeah. with, with, with his band, and they had all the original players. Yeah. And that was incredible. That was the gig I was most nervous for in my whole life, Amazing. I think. Yeah, so I did a, a Bowie tribute with Earl and a few friends of mine, uh, Michael H. in New York, right after he passed away, too. But I just don't think he liked... My performance with him as much as he probably enjoyed your performance. But um, regardless, 2019, you got the tour coming up, a new album, which I'm super excited about. And your life now, you got you have your beautiful three boys, you're domesticated, you live in the valley, like stuff like that. So I live in the valley. I'm always leaving. Always leaving. Going on tour. And, and what are you the most excited about in sort of uh, summarizing everything for this year coming up? Is it the new album and being back on the road with live? Um, it's really having the new record come out because cool. I mean it's an incredible privilege to have a record that that resonates with people still you know from from so long ago with Sixteen Stone and subsequent records so many singles and all that but nothing kind of beats the the alchemy of a of a new song coming out and people digging the new song and doing really great and being involved with John Wick that's that's such an honor 
and just going on tour and, and like feeling fit and strong and ready to sing. My favorite song that you've written, <laughs> Chemicals Between Us. So uh, mm -hmm. any story behind that song in closing? Um, that was one where I, I'd done the, the this record with Steve Albini and- Nirvana I, amongst uh, other bands. Yeah, PJ Harvey, the yeah. Pixies, Slint, yeah. Jesus Lizard, everyone. Mm -hmm. yep. And I was like, um, now I want to make a record that's a bit more, had a bit more London in it. Bit more, bit more of the of the of the backdrops of the kind of the, the dance dance hall stuff and and the sound systems that I grew up with, and um, so that was my first foray into like using a programmer. He's um, uh, Johnny Rockstar, his name was, and uh, Tom Elmhurst, who went on to become a really huge Grammy award winning sure. mixer for sure. uh, Adele. And so that was my first like into like bleeps, bips, bleeps, and whistles and nonsense on the music and it was fun. It's a great song. Thank you so much for hanging out. We're gonna do a two minute little, cause we gotta do the Instagram thing, right? Okay. Before you go, so of course, so we can be in each other's lives more. Yeah. And uh, we're gonna do that in the moment and I really appreciate it. It's been great hanging with you. We're gonna do like a four hour interview for the new record when it comes <laughs> out. I'll be at the Greek too. August 6th with live coming up and check out the new single too. It's available now, Bold Holes, Spotify, iTunes, every platform in the world. Yeah, John Wick so. 3 and the a new album will be out probably September. So we're looking forward to that yeah. for sure. Let, you know, got to digest that first song. Definitely. Yeah. And, and everyone go check out the show with live. It should be great. Uh, amazing tracks coming up. And uh, yeah, great hanging, Gav. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Awesome, brother. Thank you. Hi, this is Dennis Quaid, and I want to tell you about a new show I've produced that I know you're going to love. It's called The Pet Show, and well, it's a show about pets, dogs, cats, snakes, birds, and our relationship with these animals. It's the podcast with a purpose. Listen to The Pet Show on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, my name is John Paul Kermy. I am a breathwork teacher. I'm really excited to be doing this new podcast with my good friend Feldy called Hang Up. That's right, I'm John Feldman. I'm in a band called Goldfinger. John Paul taught me breathwork, it changed my life. We're talking about solutions to problems today. Listen to Hang Ups on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. y'all i'm uncle drank star of the ballad of uncle drank it is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me fictional golf and western country music pioneer uncle drank the series also stars luke wilson brian kelly chelsea lynn kinky friedman and billy zane as a talking blender named blendy you can find the ballad of uncle drank on sirius xm pandora stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts